0: Hi, and welcome to the 30th Womanthology podcast. My name is Fiona Tatton, and I'll be your host. Womanthology is a digital magazine and professional community powered by female energy and ingenuity. We champion equal recognition and reward for everyone, sharing opportunities, ideas, and a deep pool of collective wisdom, supporting each other to be unstoppable theme of the show today is ability in the face of disability as we celebrate international day of persons with disabilities i will be speaking with dr jane davis gp and menopause specialist to talk about the impact of menopause on women at work as ever we'll be hearing from womanthology's associate editor inesh santos about the new stories in the written issue reminder that you sign up for the womanthology newsletter by filling in your details on the front page of our website that's womanthology.co.uk you can also join our linkedin community by visiting linkedin.com forward slash company forward slash womanthology and find us on twitter instagram and facebook Welcome to the Womanology podcast. We have Dr Jane Davis, who is an accredited specialist in menopause. We got in, in contact through a wonderful campaign called Rock My Menopause. So I'll be having a chat with Jane today. How are you doing, Jane? Doing really well, thank you, Fiona. Welcome, there is a lot to be talking about. So I'm gonna start off by asking you a bit about your educational background and career to date. Thank you.
1: So I'm a GP by trade. I've trained down in Cornwall, where I've been for the last over 20 years. But I started off doing medicine up in Scotland, which was a lovely experience being up there in the mountains. I'm not a classic scientist. I got into medicine through an arts route. And I realised that medicine was a really good way of combining art and science. And that's how I ended up in Scotland. And how long were you there for? It takes six years to train. Uh So tell us a bit about the role that you're doing today. So I'm what people often describe as a portfolio GP. That means I do a little bit of everything. And I found that's the best way to combine my passion for believing that women need to be cared for as close to home as possible to get the right care in the right place at the right time, which usually means doing that in their community rather than having to travel miles to see someone in a specialist setting so I do bread and butter GP but I also work for the local sexual health service
0: and that's how I combine my skills and on a day-to-day basis what would that involve if we're trying to imagine you Jane on a day-to-day basis what sort of things are we imagining you doing? So
1: uh, the last day I was in GP, I was fitting lots of coils and contraceptive implants. And so that's helping women with their contraception. But a lot of the time, that's really talking about their hormones. There's lots of things that come up when you're doing these procedures. and Menopause often comes up. It's amazing what people want, want to tell you about. So that's one way that the women's health side of things becomes part of my day-to-day practice.
0: And how did you get involved with the Rock My Menopause campaign?
1: I'm a board member for a a group called the Primary Care Women's Health Forum. And we're a group of over 11,000 healthcare professionals who are passionate about women's health. We're mainly doctors and nurses. There's some pharmacists, there's commissioners there's all sorts of people who are interested but the core of us are clinicians and we get together and organise education we swap tips and tricks we have loads of webinars and what we realized was we were doing lots of stuff to support each other but we weren't getting the message out to the public and so if we could make a patient facing branch to help women become more informed about menopause then that would in turn help the clinicians out there because the women would know more about what they needed And it was really exciting. We breakfast picked it up and we got to launch it on the telly, which was brilliant. And it's gone from strength to strength. So I think people find it
0: a really helpful resource. It looks really fabulous as well. I've looked at the website and it's very zingy and bright and and happy and not necessarily words that you would typically associate with menopause. So I think you've done a really good job there.
1: I think it's all about smashing the taboos and standing up for people going through menopause because it's been very much a hidden condition for
0: years and years and years and does really affect people. And Jane, please could you talk us through the different types of menopause, what causes them and what the symptoms are, because I think there's a lot of assumptions around women of a certain age and, and these types of things. But there's a lot of other different potential reasons why people might be going through menopause.
1: Yeah, that's right, Fiona, that's it's a very broad reaching condition and the the average age for the average menopause if there is such a thing is 51 so that's when someone who's having regular periods will stop their periods at 51 and in some ways you could call that a natural menopause but some people start experiencing that much much younger so you can have premature ovarian insufficiency which is when women go through menopause under the age of 40 You can have early menopause when people go through menopause under the age of 45. So that's all if you've got your ovaries and everything comes to a a halt as it would naturally. But there's other reasons that people can go through menopause in a different way. So if they'd had their ovaries removed for some reason, perhaps they had a, a nasty cyst or they had to have it as part of some other uh, condition, then we'd call that a surgical menopause and some people will also uh, still have their ovaries, but their ovaries have been rendered inactive by various chemicals. so chemotherapy is a really common reason that people would experience a chemical menopause. So really it, it's quite a broad umbrella for the kind of things that women will experience.
0: But in terms of age, it could be as young as women in their 20s or even younger.
1: Yeah, even women in their teens can experience it. So you can't say that it's just something for women in their 50s. The old phrase women of a certain age doesn't really apply when we really understand what's going on for women.
0: And in terms of this effect on women in their professional and personal lives, there's been a lot of discussion around Workplaces being more supportive, having champions, and and things like this. What are the potential impacts on on women in their their professional and personal lives? The key
1: word there, Fiona, is potential because this menopause for natural menopause certainly is a natural process, and and some women will genuinely be fine. And I wouldn't want people to listen to this who haven't experienced it to be terrified. Because the chances are they will be okay, but forewarned is forearmed, and knowing what can happen can can be helpful, so you can recognise it if it is happening to you or a colleague, or if you're in the midst of it and you haven't realised. So, so everyone's experience is really individual. So, if you've met one woman with menopausal symptoms, you've met one woman with menopausal symptoms. They're not identical by any stretch and the onset can be gradual or it can be a sudden thing and typically it tends to be you know any time from your 30s through to your 50s that's the sort of most common time for people to be experiencing symptoms. The easy things to spot are things like hot flushes and we'll all know about that and the night sweats and they're not sleeping very well so that's much more classically linked with menopause but it's the other things that can sort of creep on more insidiously that you may not already think are linked menopause so things like brain fog that not being able to sequence things not being able to find words like you used to um, why is that oh it's fascinating gosh I could get really <laughs> nerdy Fiona but it's it's absolutely fascinating the long and the short of it we don't know very well because women's brains and our hormones haven't been very well researched until really recently it's only been in the last handful of years when i've gone to conferences that it's even been mentioned so this is a super new field but in essence the estrogen that we produce from the ovaries is called estradiol and we think that it's really important in brain function so it's an emerging field and watch this space but that's essentially what it is so when we miss estradiol there's areas of our brains that don't light up as well and the word finding area is one of those
0: oh wow i didn't know any of that no that's fascinating talking about those chemical changes but part of the emotional side around that is perhaps not understanding why so if somebody is not able to get that information or to understand where are the good places that they can go because obviously the the internet doctor internet we've all done that but sometimes that can make things more complicated or worse it can if you go
1: to the wrong places but if you go to the right places you can be really well informed so a good first up is always the NHS website NHS choices always has really reputed information and it may be in a quite straightforward format it might not be your thing but you know you can trust the stuff on there so i'd say that's a good start rock my menopause obviously we've tailored it to to what we know because we're clinicians we know they're the things people ask we've got bags of information on there we've got bags of potential for lots more so we're just a jobbing gps and nurses writing stuff in our spare time so it it's growing slowly, but there is stuff that, that that is useful. So I'd say that's a good start. But be careful with the myths that that circulate around. I think there is misinformation because so many people want to know about how their their bodies work at the moment. And it's wonderful when women support each other. I love to see it online, but I also sometimes wince when I see the myths that are going around as well. So it's getting that balance, supporting each other, but making sure
0: you fact check against reputable resources. What are your favourite myths? Because we don't like myths, but what are the most outlandish myths that you've come across? Oh, gosh, that's
1: an interesting one. I like to call the fear around HRT a bit of a zombie theory in the fact that zombies don't die off, do they? We keep trying to give everyone the facts and saying, this is where we are, this is where we were. HRTs are much more modern, they're much safer than they used to be. These fears around breast cancer and heart disease are not founded on the current research. We're much more relaxed about HRT than we used to be. We still are very careful as clinicians to do an individualized benefit and risk analysis before we started HRT but the majority of people the benefits outweigh the risks So not everybody but for the majority and I think if I could just help people feel more reassured about that myth I
0: think that could go a long way to helping women feel more empowered. So in terms of the possible treatments there's been a lot of talk around HRT recently and the cost was recently cut in England Mm -hmm. what are the implications of this?
1: Well, I think the most important thing is the message that that gives out because uh, menopause has been hidden for so long and women have felt really isolated. They've been battling with this with no backup at all. But this gave a message loud and clear that menopause is now on the agenda at a government level and it's triggering off the menopause task force. And you can really see things starting to happen. So that was its biggest impact as far as I could see. On a practical level, anything that's going to make accessing prescriptions easier is a good thing. But I think if you've got a prepayment on your prescription or if you don't pay for prescriptions, it's probably not going to make a lot of difference. But if you're a new patient going onto HRT for the first time, it, it helps make it less expensive and the costs have been prohibitive for women up to now. So it's a good thing. It's a start of more, I think.
0: What does HRT actually do in the body? Why does it help?
1: It shouldn't really be called hormone replacement therapy. It's more like a balancing therapy, really. It adds back the hormones that are missing. And the key one, you heard me talk earlier about estradiols, the marvellous stuff that the body needs and misses during menopause.
0: Is that different to estrogen?
1: It's the body's form of estrogen. But yes, it adds back estrogen. So that's what it does. And some people will need progesterone as well and other people won't. But it it isn't the only treatment for menopausal symptoms.
0: Because it's not for everybody, is it?
1: It's absolutely not for everybody. And we should not be putting it in the drinking water. And people who can't access it should not feel hopeless that they're going to have the worst time in the world. Because no medication works unless you do all the other lifestyle things around it and and so getting those lifestyle changes in place is the most important thing and then knowing that there's non-hormonal options that can go hand in hand with managing your menopausal symptoms
0: and what sort of non-hormonal things might there be that people could consider
1: So you might be surprised to hear that some antidepressants
0: work really
1: well. They don't work as an antidepressant, they work in a different way. So I think antidepressants have got themselves a bad rap around menopause at the moment because of various social media campaigns. But actually, there's more to the story than that. It's one of the best tools that I have. For example, if someone's getting horrible flushing, we can use some very low dose antidepressants which don't really work in the same way as an antidepressant does they work on stabilizing the brain chemistry so they can be really good and there's also various things that we normally use for nerve pain actually do a similar kind of job so there are quite a few options to work through and the other thing that is very popular and can help a lot is cognitive behavioral therapy And it's not accessible for
0: everyone, but there's some really good research around it. That's coping strategies and reprogramming the way we think about things. Yeah, exactly.
1: There's a very eminent clinician called Dr. Myra Hunter, who's written a book on cognitive behavioural therapy for managing uh, menopausal symptoms. And that's a, a real mainstay text for a lot of specialists so there are people doing really wonderful work out there and not relying heavily on HRT.
0: It can impact on digestive health as well. There's a lot of stuff around the gut biome and things like that. Could you tell us a little bit about that and how that might impact?
1: Yeah, absolutely. And this is fascinating. So the area of the gut biome is, again, it's a very new area of science, but it's absolutely blossoming at the moment because the more we find out the more we realize it's really key the, the gut biome is the collection of microorganisms in the gut and they weigh about the same as a brain wow. and it, amazing isn't it and we, we're now beginning to realize that they operate together almost like a, a, an, an, another organ in our body and how they help us balance our hormones is really, really key. The more we find out, the more we realise it's important. So we can see already that it has quite a lot to do with how oestrogen is is metabolised in the body. So gut health is really important, addressing difficulties with your bowels, whether you're prone to a bit of diarrhoea or constipation and keeping that gut microbiome as healthy as possible with as diverse a diet
0: as you can is absolutely key. Did I read right that your gut biome is almost as unique as your own fingerprint? Yeah.
1: And it absolutely. can be influenced
0: by loads of different things.
1: Yes, absolutely. It is an individual thing, but it's, it's also not written in stone. So you can change your gut by the way that you eat. And that can happen Well, people aren't quite sure how long it takes, but I've read some text saying it can take a couple of weeks to significantly alter your gut biome. So it's not something you st- you're not born with one thing and you're stuck with it forever. You can make your gut biome healthier by eating a diverse variety of fruit and vegetables and largely plant based food seems to be the trick and fermented
0: food. Okay, well, I think we could have a whole extra spin-off podcast about all these things. So we might have to invite you back, Jane, if that's all right to talk about all these. Things. It's fascinating because I could talk for hours about this. And in the workplace, so there's a lot of talk at the moment about workplaces supporting women or people who have menopause through this. What does best practice look like for you in the workplace? How can employers better support women and make it so the the stigma's not there? But it's, it's a very private thing as well. So for people who want to talk about it, that's great, but not everybody will want to. So what can employers do and how can they manage the situation so people can get the help that they need, but it's on their own terms?
1: Absolutely. I've seen a huge change in the last few years with people accessing really good menopause support at work, and it's wonderful to see And when I've seen it work best, it's when the the senior people, so the managers, for example, are are spotting and being proactive. So if they're seeing somebody uh, not performing as they were, it's having that open culture to find out why and so that that person feels they can trust the person who's asking so they can divulge what's going on if they feel happy to. So having an open and approachable culture seems to be the way that works best and if menopause is mentioned as a a thing you can approach someone about if you need to along with everything else then it just needs to be leveled up so you could go and talk about your broken leg you can talk about your night flushes and if people can feel as if they can do that I think that's one of the most important barriers. I also think it's being able to make reasonable adjustments because um, being flexible around this transition in life is absolutely key. Here's an example. So women who are perimenopausal, so typically in, in their late 40s, their hormones are really roller coastering, and often they will be absolutely on their A game at about four in the morning. They wake up there, their, their brains are lit right up and they're hoovering their house, they're getting their postgraduate degrees done, they're just incredible. And then you hit them at three o'clock in the afternoon, they can't string a sentence together because their brains are working differently at that point. And of course, if you're having the board meeting at three in the afternoon, you may see a very different woman in front of you yeah. to the woman that was able to get her emails done at four in the morning. So that's a really good example of how flexible working could get the best out of somebody who's experiencing symptoms and being able to take time off with a menopause related condition that was a genius bit of phraseology that I heard somewhere menopause related condition doesn't mean you have to go into the nitty grits of your sore vagina or your night flushes or your brain fog you can just gloss over it with that and that might be a tool some people feel okay about disclosing
0: And are some employers I've read are having menopause champions in the workplace? So somebody who will be very clued up that you can go to if you feel that you want to.
1: Yeah, we've seen some amazing things happen in Cornwall in the last 18 months. So our local council and our local police force all have menopause champions. They've got really good support in the workplace and, and women are working much more efficiently as a result of it. So it's wonderful to
0: see well that is good news so is there anything else that we should be telling our listeners jane in terms of what they ought to be doing so if they're going through menopause at the moment or if they're thinking that it, it might be round the corner what sort of things so we've got rock my menopause is the website for the campaign so there's a really good place to go what else should they be doing
1: if you're comfortable with it
0: start talking about it the first
1: place for smashing taboos is to open up to people that you feel comfortable opening up to friends family or if it's online with people you don't know as well perhaps that's the best way but getting the conversation going is the key really i've i've worked in rural practice for years and i've spoken to women who are all living very close to each other but they're all keeping this problem secret and i think gosh if you could just share that you're all going through something similar i'm sure you'd feel better and because we know shared experience makes humans feel better it's well established so talk about it get the conversation going get yourself informed find the right information and don't be afraid to go and see your GP or your nurse whoever is the person that you feel most comfortable speaking to at your GP surgery is a really good start most clinicians are better than you'd think at this they're getting a hard time in the media at the moment but remember we're all in that job because we want to help and we're trained to listen so don't feel you can't go don't feel you're wasting somebody's time this is the menopause care is as essential health care as anything else that you might have wrong with you or anything else you feel you need some time to discuss so please don't feel you can't bother um, clinicians because they are there to help
0: and I suppose the moral here is as well if you go and see a GP and you're not getting the support that you want maybe get a different GP
1: yeah there's always people in teams people generally clinicians work in really big teams and it's quite natural that you'll get on better with some than others you might catch somebody on a day when things weren't very easy for them and so you might even find that the clinician has a better day another time so keep trying don't lose heart and remember that is the the best first port of call
0: and i suppose remember as well that you're not on your own and there is this big community so it's finding that support in the way that you feel most comfortable and yeah absolutely of, of with employers as well if you had a, a final piece of advice to give to employers about what they ought to be doing what best practice looks like what is the biggest change that you'd like to see
1: raise awareness you start using the word menopause around the workplace because once you smash that taboo that opens the the gates it, it helps with the barriers for women so I think getting the conversation
0: going would be the key well we will support employers as much as we can and also the the people who are going through this as well so what is coming up next for you what is on the cards for you Jane and what are you looking forward to it can be in work it can be out of work it can be whatever you want so
1: probably like many doctors I'm a perpetual nerd and I'll always be learning something so at the moment I'm training in psychosexual counselling which I absolutely love it's really fascinating and so I could see that that's going to be where my career will go over the next few years. But in the short term, I've been in private practice for a couple of years and I'm heading back to the NHS and I'm really looking forward to picking up my doctor's bag again and going back to doing some bread and butter general practice. I I think things have changed a lot in the last couple of years and what I'm discovering already is that there is so much more awareness about women's health and women are more empowered, they're more brave, they are more informed and they really want to feel their best particularly around midlife and it's really lovely to see women asking for help so i'm really looking forward to going back to general practice and being part of that
0: well would it be all right jane for us to keep in touch with you and we will follow this issue because it is just so important for so many people
1: yes absolutely thank
0: you very much for having me it's been a great pleasure speaking with you dr jane davis thank you so much
2: Hello, my name is Inês Santos. I am the associate editor of Womanology, and I am here to tell you about our new issue which celebrates International Day of Persons with Disabilities. The stories include Stephanie Haig-Evans is People Director at Fizzbox, a company that connects customers with a wide range of activities and experiences. Stephanie tells us about living with Crohn's disease since the age of 17 and how she has adapted her career to help her life with this all-consuming disease. Maria Grazia Zeda, Equality, Diversity and Inclusion Senior Manager Workforce at HS2, tells us about her long career working with disabled people and also about being deaf herself. Maria talks about the many inclusion programs at HS2 and tells us why she is proud of her disability. Jessica Cox, motivational speaker and life coach shares her story of overcoming the challenge of being born without arms. Jessica was awarded a Guinness World Record for becoming the first female armless pilot flying an airplane with her feet. She also scuba dives, is a taekwondo black belt, and cycles on her recumbent trike. Winnie Lamb, policy support officer in the taxi and private hire team at Transport for London, is blind and chairs the Staff Network Group for Disability. She discusses helping colleagues who don't identify as having a disability better understand the reality. Daisy Shearer, PhD candidate in experimental condensed matter physics at the University of Surrey, talks about how she created NeuroDivergent in STEM, an initiative to raise the profiles of neurodivergent people in STEM fields. As an autistic person in STEM, Daisy grew up with no role models, so now she wants to create a space where other neurodivergent scientists can share their career journey and inspire the next generation. And finally, Natalie McWilliam is a self-employed note-taker and live captioner who works in disability services. She talks us through her journey of being diagnosed with ME at 12 years old and how she has learned to adapt the way she lives and works in order to manage the condition. She also explains how ME is often stigmatized and poorly understood. It is much more than just fatigue and malaise. Do check out our website womanfology.co.uk, to read the full stories. And that is all from me! Sadly, that's all we have time for this episode. Thank you so much for
0: listening. And remember, if you want to support what we do, then share the link for the show on social media and also follow the show. Your feedback is really important, so please do rate and review the show in your podcast app. That's all for now, but join us in the next episode where we celebrate awesome women in transport.